Well, if you have your Bibles, grab them and turn to Romans 12.2. We've been spending quite a bit of time there lately. Romans 12.2. And while you're turning, why don't we just start in a word of prayer. Lord, thank You, God, for this morning. Thank You for 52 weeks this year, Lord, of being in Your Word and blessing us the way You do. Lord, this morning as Pastor Richie is resting, we pray, God, that You would give him good rest. The man, Lord, that You have called to pastor this flock, God, and and Lord, He puts it all in. So we thank You for that. We are so thankful for that. Lord, now as we go forward into Your Word, I pray, Lord, that You would speak to us as You do. Speak to us mightily, God. And we'll give You the honor and the praise and the glory. Amen. I heard a story recently about an incident at a junior high school camp. Now, one of the campers that was there was a boy who suffered from a condition known as spastic paralysis. Now, this is a condition that is a result of either a stroke or a birth injury. Now, this condition also results in completely uncontrolled, involuntary muscle movements. And it also affects your ability to speak normally. Now, you can probably imagine that this junior high kid had it pretty tough. His life was pretty challenging given this condition. Now, I want you to think back on your junior high school years and maybe all of those difficult, cruel things that were said or done to you in junior high. Or maybe you were the cruel one. But in any case, junior high can be a tough time, right? So this kid at camp was subject to all kinds of ridicule. The boys there were just brutal, unrelenting, teasing him, making fun of him. But one night, in their cabin... These boys had to select somebody to give the devotional the next morning in front of the entire camp. They picked this boy with spastic paralysis. You see, they had an ulterior motive, and they were going to have some fun at his expense. But the next morning, this boy got up, spastic paralysis and all. He labored. He labored to get up on the platform. And there were hundreds of junior high school kids there. And with enormous effort, it took everything he had just to get up on the platform. And in his normal, strained and slurred voice, he simply said, Jesus loves me. And I love Jesus. That 
was his devotional. There were very few dry eyes in that place that morning. In fact, from that devotional, there was kind of a revival that broke out. It erupted in that junior high camp. And afterwards, afterwards, for years afterwards, there were people that came to him and said, you know, I have to confess, I came to Christ that day. You see, I see God's Word screaming at us, screaming at us, hey, faith and conviction and repentance, we're all related. We've been in this biblical series on repentance for several weeks. And we've learned that biblical repentance is simply a change of mind. But the question is, change your mind about what? Romans 12.2. You can look at it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See this transformation that we're going through? It's a metamorphosis. We've seen that with the caterpillar and the butterfly. You see, it's a transformation that is out of this world. Change your mind about the world. We're not only told, we're commanded to change our mind. And then we're told why. John 18.36 says this, and it's Jesus speaking. My kingdom is not of this world. Cool. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. In Philippians 3.20, Scripture then tells us our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love those Scriptures. See, we're aliens in this world. We're not from here. It's not our home. And that is really good news. Because this place is a mess. Amen? Oh. See, these truths are all parts of God's redemptive plan, regardless of what the world tells us. We also know from our study that the Bible teaches that repentance is an ongoing thing. It's not a one-off. And let's not confuse confession with repentance either. Because confession is nothing more than agreeing with God. If we confess, we're just agreeing with God. But repentance is changing our mind, and that implies that we have to do something. We have to do something. So if biblical repentance is changing our mind, the question remains, changing our mind about what? Our life? Our faith? Our convictions? What? To be sure, our first act of repentance, biblically, comes when we recognize and we agree with God that we have a need for a Savior. Amen? That little boy was used in a junior high camp to get some other junior hires, maybe even adults there, I don't know, to recognize their need for a Savior. See, we have to change our mind about that. That's essential for salvation. But for some of us, we may have thought that the act of repentance, that's it. One and done. I'm in. See you at the pearly gates. You ever wonder where all those pearly gate jokes come from? It's the one and done attitude. But that's not biblical. 
Because even though the simple act of repenting and changing our mind and putting our faith in Jesus Christ is just that, it's simple. It's profound, amen? It is a profound thing. So look around you. Just look around. The simple act of putting your faith in Jesus Christ is a miraculous thing. It has supernatural implications. I can prove it because you're sitting here. Without it being supernatural, we just wouldn't be here. Left to our desires, what would we be doing? Sleeping in. No offense, Pastor Richie. That's deserved. But football, car shows, swap meets, pizza, beer. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, frankly. But without a miraculous supernatural event in your life coming to Christ, that's where we would be. Transformation process is supernatural. Now, two days ago, we celebrated the birth of Jesus. Functionally and dysfunctionally. But you see, this is the biblical Jesus we're talking about. We celebrated the birth of the biblical Jesus, the one that God's Word tells us about in John 3.16. We all know that, don't we? John 16. Ready? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall... Yes. So biblically, we see that Jesus saves us from what? Sin and separation from God. That's simple. We're familiar with that. But then we tend to forget John 3.17. It's just the next sentence that says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it. This is the same world that Paul's talking about in Romans 12.2. He did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save the world. So once we acknowledge that truth, we just repent. We change our mind about the need for a Savior. And then we begin to grow spiritually. And as we do, we continue to repent. It's not a one-off. We're continually changing our mind to act in accordance with the revelation from God and our desire to be Christ-like, godly, and holy. I hope that's our desire. Because if it is, that's awesome. If we're repenting biblically, we're growing spiritually. That's what transformation is. But what does it take to repent? I love biblical application. Because, man, we could just pour it in, can't we? Just pour it in. But if we're not going to apply it, what's the point? So what does it take to repent? The revelation of the Word of God for sure. But is the revelation of God's Word enough? No. It is not enough. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Here's the context. You see, Jesus was led by the Spirit out to the desert where He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. That's the setup. i got to believe He was hungry at least. But look at what happens. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Then, the then is 
Then, after Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil himself quotes Scripture from Psalm 91 as he's trying to tempt Jesus when Jesus was really vulnerable. But look at how Jesus responds. Verse 7. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So there you have it. There you have it. Satan has the revelation of the Word of God. He knows the truth. He knows God's Word. He quotes Scripture. And he does it from memory. Ooh, that's a little convicting. (laughs) Satan quotes Scripture from memory. But you see, he quotes the Psalms. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. But what's the difference? What is the difference? Satan has a view of the world but so does Jesus. You see, Satan's is a world view. But Jesus has a biblical world view. You see, Satan's kingdom is here. That's what the Scripture is talking about. But Jesus and His followers, we're not from here. We're not from here. Romans 12:2 again. Do not conform to the pattern of This world. Jesus and His church, that's us. Not from here. Just passing through. I heard Billy Graham talk about a passing through message one time. It was awesome. Just a passing through. That's what we're doing. But look in verse 8. Again. Isn't that just like the devil? Not content to tempt just once. Anybody? Over. It's like those junior high boys. He's like relentless. Relentless. He never quits. Again, verse 8 says, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. The devil used the splendor of the entire... There's some beautiful stuff out here in the world. Even though it's a messed up crazy place, it is a beautiful place. But Jesus knows who He is and where He's from. He's the Son of God and His kingdom isn't from here. Why in the world would Jesus want to conform to the pattern of this world? He's not from here. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 12.2 not being conformed to the pattern of this world. The question is, which view do you hold to? You see, true biblical repentance requires a biblical worldview. And I love it when Richie does this, so I like to mimic him sometimes. So he takes the Bible like that. All right, there's the filter. I'm filtering. I'm seeing everything through a biblical worldview. I'm hearing everything through a biblical worldview. 
And I'm speaking everything through a biblical worldview. Because if you're not, you might as well just take the newspaper. <laughs> and that's where the craziness is, huh? It's crazy what you read in here. It's crazy. So which view do you hold? Jesus demonstrated for us a conviction that in one sense comes from a biblical worldview, but He could have succumbed to, to Satan. In His humanity, Jesus could have succumbed to Satan. He was hungry. He was physically weak. He was exhausted. But more than all of those things, He was living the conviction that He was here to do the Father's will. See, biblical repentance for us requires biblical conviction, and biblical conviction isn't conviction at all unless it's converted, Wes, into action. We were praying this morning in Richie's office, and we were talking about conviction, and Wes said, Ah, conviction! It's an action word. Conviction is an action word. So biblical conviction should probably be understood because a biblical conviction or a biblical worldview is based on truth. And where do we find truth? Christians? <laughs> yeah, John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Awesome. Your word is truth. You see, that's immutable. Betty? God is immutable, never changing. God's Word is immutable, never changing. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled in heaven. How long? How long are we going to be there? Forever, Your Word, O Lord, is settled in heaven. Meditate on that. The focus should clearly be on where you're going to, not what you're going through. The focus should clearly be on where you're going to, not what you're going through. See, that's the perspective that Jesus had. That was His conviction. Now, the word conviction, of course, is directly related to the word convict. Uh-oh. But we're most familiar with that word from a legal perspective. It reminds me of Tyler. I can't even get a smile out of him. It reminds me of Tyler and his work, you see, because if you break the law, Tyler will arrest you. And if you get arrested, Tyler will go to court and he will testify truthfully about your offense. Tyler tells the truth. The judge convicts you. You go to jail. That's how it works in the world. He does it all the time. But when you understand that the root word of conviction means to prove quality. Conviction to prove quality all of a sudden, biblical conviction gets personal, doesn't it? To prove quality. Jesus said in John 16:8 about the work of God the Holy Spirit, when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness. In other words, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict or convince us 
and to prove the quality of righteousness over sin. To prove the quality of righteousness over sin. I find it interesting that Jesus during His ministry here on earth was doing just that. He was sinless, fully righteous. What did He do? He demonstrated that He was God. He convinced us and He proved up the quality of that beyond the shadow of a doubt. So are you convinced? Hmm? Are you convinced that your conviction is that Jesus Christ is Lord? Three heads went like this. We're in church! (laughs) Are you convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord? Okay then, all right, if that's your conviction, has the quality of that been proved up? Yes, conviction to prove quality. Let me ask you this, have you made up your mind that the revealed Word of God is truth? Every head, please. Okay, yes, excellent. You see, because if that's the case, if that's your conviction that the Word of God is truth, that the Bible is God's Word, it is true, the quality of that has been absolutely proved up. We know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. All right. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That truth has been proved up. Nobody comes to the Father except through Christ. We may all start from different places, but you've got to end at that place for true biblical repentance to start. But then we're confronted with this. 2 Timothy 3.16. Another one of those 3.16 verses. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So you see, if you've driven that stake in the ground, which most of you nodded just a minute ago and said you had. If you've driven that stake in the ground, if that's your conviction, then you have a biblical worldview. But you see, this isn't just something you can believe. Because even Satan believes it. It has to be a belief and a conviction. Because a belief is something you have. But a conviction is something that has you. So that's great. But we've got to personalize it, don't we? We've got to personalize it. Otherwise, it's just theoretical. Atheists can deal in theory, but we're believers. So we have to personalize it. And now don't start thinking about somebody that you wish had a biblical worldview. Personalizing it means looking in the mirror. Okay? So let's look in the mirror and remember that we're all in the transformation process here. So here's a three-point description of this conviction that we're talking about. Biblical conviction. And how you should probably have it play out in your life. You ready? Come on, are you ready? Alright. Here it goes. If your conviction, you said it. If your conviction is to a biblical worldview, because you're not from here, then you will have a commitment to Scripture as your authority in all of your life. Because remember, we're talking about the Word of God here. Amen? Okay. We're talking about the revelation of God that came from Him directly to us. 
personalize it. Betty, to you, it came to you and you and you and you. Some time ago, I was talking with a gentleman right here. We were at this church, and we were discussing a couple of really good questions. You've heard them before, I think. Who's sitting on the throne of your life? And on what basis are you going to make the rest of the decisions that need to be made today? Hmm, I got the standard Sunday school answer. Jesus! Were you ever taught that? Say, I didn't grow up in church, so I, I had to learn later on that in church, in children's church, if you ever wanted to get close to the right answer, whatever the question was, just say Jesus and you're, you're probably pretty good. Well, it was interesting. This is an adult. And that's what he said, Jesus. But we talked a little bit further and finally he was willing to admit, no, frankly, uh, the authority comes from the Word of God. I said, that's awesome. That's great. How much time do you spend in the Word of God? Ah, guru. Well, um, uh, uh, that was a little tougher question for him to answer. I said, oh, that's all right. So where is your Bible? Ah, he had me. It's in my car. We got up. We walked right out the door. We went out the parking lot. We opened up the trunk of his car where he said his Bible was. And he's got, it was full of stuff. And we're pulling stuff out. Uh, it wasn't in there. He had no idea where his Bible even was. He had no clue. And after a little more discussion, you see, he began to catch on to the difference between belief. Satan has belief and conviction. There's a huge difference. Amen? So if your conviction is to a biblical worldview, number two, you will construct specific beliefs and convictions based on that authority. Now, although beliefs and convictions are related, we know that, they're not the same. We've already seen that. A belief is something that you hold, but a conviction is something that holds you. But I like this one even better. A belief is something that you'll argue about. <laughs> a conviction is something you'll die for. Are you? Are you willing to die? Reminds me of Jesus. And finally, if this is your conviction, you will have the courage to act, to live your life based on those convictions in faith. In faith. See, our conviction to a biblical worldview is essential. Otherwise, we'll just be blown in every direction. God has already given us everything we need for godliness and holiness. He says so. Second Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God is good. And all the time. Amen. See, the courage to act is a supernatural thing requiring us to do nothing more than to appropriate what God has already given us. We should be living Coram Deo. Richie in his office has a little sign. Coram Deo. Anybody know what that means? It's a Latin thing, huh? 
seize the day. And really, in a biblical sense, it means to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. Seize the day. See, this is a very, by its very nature, biblical conviction is a settled thing. It's an admission to the truth of God. It's a certainty. It's a certainty. It's the state of being free of doubt and therefore being free indeed. John 8.32 So remember now, conviction is a legal term. It means, like when Tyler is testifying in court against a bad guy, it means that there has to be objective and unquestionable truth. I don't know about you, but I would forget what he looks like for a minute. <laughs> I love you, brother. This is a man that speaks truth. He's spoken truth into my life. Some of it I didn't even like, but I respected because this is a man of truth. I hope the Lord's speaking to us right now about how these how faith and conviction and repentance are related. Because as it relates to our faith, conviction is the assurance of this absolute truth convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt, strong enough to resist all attacks. And there's Jesus in the desert again. Strong enough to resist all attacks. Because you see, Jesus had the conviction. Well, it's no wonder in His vulnerable state and He was starving and He was dirty and He was hungry and He was he was a lot of things when the devil said, you could have it all, man. No. No, I know why I'm here and I know who I am. I don't need it, Jesus said. Jesus told His disciples to follow Him and they did. And then they tried to figure it out and they couldn't. And, and they didn't. But ultimately, you see, they believed. Ultimately, the disciples believed. You see, they had faith and they had their convictions and their convic convictions drove their actions. And their convictions drove their actions to the end. Because strong convictions precede great actions every time. Want to do something great? Have a strong conviction. You see, we've already established that the biblical worldview requires a conviction that is not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Romans 12.2, Romans 12.2, Romans 12.2. We've, we've looked at that Scripture 50 times in the last eight weeks around here. See, the truth is, without this conviction, people will just go the way of the culture. That's the world. Not only will people do it, but churches do it. Churches go the way of the world. And why is that? Because they lack biblical conviction. There's no conviction to a biblical worldview. Where are you? Back to that point. The first point. You'll have a commitment to Scripture as your authority in all of your life. You see, it's about authority. What's the authority? Who's on the throne? I remember the video that we've seen. We don't have time to look at today. Where the person had Jesus partway on the throne, but they had one cheek on the throne? I call that a one-cheeker. How many of us are living with one cheek on the throne? Most of us, probably. Sometimes, sometimes I got both cheeks on the throne. It's about authority. 
the conviction of biblical authority is unapologetically unwavering here at this church. Amen? Our conviction as a church is to always speak the truth in love. And that's all fine and good, right? But what does this faith-based conviction look like up close and personal? Because if it doesn't get up close and personal, what's the point? We could leave, walk out the door, have a biblical worldview with no conviction. We got nothing. So it has to get personal. I want to tell you just one story about what that looks like. Robert Hodge shared with the worship team just a couple of weeks ago and gave me permission to tell this story. Not lifting Robert up. Lifting Jesus up. You see, Robert works with his son, Eric. They still call it the HodgePodge Garage, Robert? Okay, it's the HodgePodge Garage. Eric works on cars. Really good mechanic, by the way, if you need one. So Robert would observe this elderly gentleman going. It's kind of in a, it's down the river bottom. It's kind of residential, kind of commercial. I don't know if you've ever been there. It, it, it's, it's kind of a cool place. So anyway, he know, there's this elderly guy that kind of lives nearby there, and the, the mailbox for him is right out on the street, the same driveway as the HodgePodge garage there. And Robert would see him, and so he struck up conversation and, and kind of befriended him and, and, and got to know him just a little bit. And Because um, Robert's pretty easy to get to know if you you have to check him out sometime. He's not a bad guy. But he had noticed in his conversation that this guy didn't really have any interest in spiritual things. And then after a while, he noticed that he wasn't going to the to the mailbox. Well, if I got the story right, that concerned Robert, so he thought he'd better check in with the family and see what was up if he could. And he was, it, it was determined that this elderly fellow had not been doing so well, so they had put him in a care facility in Miner's Oaks. Robert was concerned about that. Frankly, Robert was concerned about this gentleman's eternal destiny because Robert tends to live for him bail. He decided to visit him, so he did. He barely knew the guy. I mean, they had a little bit of a relationship, but it was pretty casual. He went to visit this man at the care facility and found that he really indeed was not doing so well. And so immediately, what happened? Robert shared the love of Christ with him, prayed with him in that place. And the next day, the man Conviction. Revelation 3.19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Church, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Colossians 3.16 and 17 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell means take up residence. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In verse 17, and, that means there's more, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Oh, 
My, we have a biblical worldview of faith, conviction, and repentance, which is freedom. We have much to be thankful for. And verse 17 says, whatever you do. The inference here, Wes, it's an action word, Wes, right? He pointed that out to me this morning. It's an action word. Do something. Try this. Let the Lord your God have full reign in every compartment in your life. See what happens. Yeah. you got to get off the throne. See what happens. See, renew your mind. Don't be conformed. We have to let Him in. You've got to get out of the way. My guess is that some of us are just flat in the way. Huh? I hate the truth like that sometimes. See, be zealous in your convictions. It's a good thing. You see, Christ-likeness has this wonderful, attractive quality to it. It's attractive. But we have to repent. We have to change our minds about our convictions. We have to have the mind of Christ. Because your life, frankly, isn't your own. I'll close with this. Martin Luther King Jr. said of faith, Faith is not believing God can. Faith is knowing God will. It's His will. It's not ours. We learned that from Jesus going to the cross, didn't we? He went to the cross and said, Your will, not mine, be done. You see, if that's your conviction, if your conviction is to a biblical worldview, then live it. Walk in the Spirit. Live by faith, not by sight. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. Live Corindeo. Share the love of Christ always. And we've heard this before. And if you have to, If it's necessary, use words. Let's pray. You guys can come up, Robert. Lord, we want to be a people of a strong biblical conviction coming from the love of Christ God that You have given us. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion right now, Lord. We're going to come to the front of this sanctuary, God, and we're going to take two cups that are stacked. And we're going to do it in a reverent, respectful way, God, in remembrance of who You are, Jesus. Because our conviction is about who You are, Jesus. You see, this is the Lord's Supper. Jesus, You commanded us to take it because You said, hey, will You just remember me? My broken body, my shed blood. Just remember. And Lord, I think You told us to remember because You knew that we would forget. Help us, Lord, not to be conformed to the world. Help us, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need Your help to live on Dale. To live for you, Jesus. That's what we want to do. Now, this is going to bring the cups to the front. We'll sing a communion song. Come to the front, take the cups as we always do, remembering Jesus, what he's done for us. 
the covenant that we're in with Him and the conviction that drives our life.